You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Colossians. Here's Nate. Up to this point in the book of Colossians, Paul has been telling the Colossian church that there is a general weakness in any philosophy or any religious system that is void of Christ. Basically, what Paul wants them to understand is that real power, real transformation, uh, real victory, real fullness is not found in some mystery religion or vague philosophy, uh, some kind of vision or dream or mystical experience. But the mystery is already revealed in the gospel. And the mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And who is this Christ, Paul would ask? Well, Christ is the creator of the universe. He's the creator and supreme over the church and is the fullness of deity bodily. And in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so up to this point in Colossians, we've studied and seen how Paul has told the Colossians, listen, don't let anyone take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. In Christ is the fullness of of deity dwelling bodily. And you are complete in him. You are full in him. So anybody who comes to you and says, there's fullness that I have to offer, either exclusive of Christ or in addition to Christ, Paul says you can reject that outright and completely. And because Christ is so good, he's given you a new nature, the circumcision of Christ, you've died with him, you were buried with him, you rose with him, you've been made alive together with him, you have been forgiven all of your debt, he's wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you on the cross, and he is Uh, made a public spectacle of principalities, of powers. He has conquered them uh, at the cross. And so really what a Christian needs to know is that everything that's needed for life and godliness, to quote from Peter, everything that's needed for life and godliness, it's it's given to us in Christ Jesus. We just need to to know the Lord more, to study him more, to walk uh, with him and in him more. And as we do, Victory begins to come uh, in our lives. Now, of course, the question that we might ask at this point is, you know, specifically, what were some of the issues that the Colossians themselves were dealing with? We've seen Paul sort of refute the philosophies and refute that false religion uh, by asserting the positive end of the spectrum, by speaking highly of Christ. What was it that they were dealing with uh, specifically? And that's what we get to in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 to 23. We start out in verse 16, and he seems to allude to uh, religious practices that have at least some kind of backdrop in Uh, Judaism. This probably isn't full-blown Judaism like you might find in Galatians or in other places in the New Testament. Probably some kind of mystical mix of Judaism with paganism and 
Gnosticism. And, uh, but, but at first, at least, they, he seems to have a very Old Testament backdrop upon what the Colossians were dealing with when he says in verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a uh, Sabbath. And so if you have all of this, if you have Christ, Paul is saying, that's what he's alluding to with the word therefore. If you, if you have Christ, if you're full in him, if he's truly done these things in your life, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. And then he lists a few different things. The first little chunk there is, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. And he doesn't expound upon it any more than just that uh, simple uh, statement. Probably the Colossians and the Colossians alone knew exactly what Paul was referring to. Of course, we see uh, debates over food and drink uh, all throughout the New Testament, especially in Romans chapter 14 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul alludes to the idea that some in the Corinthian church were worried about eating meat that had been purchased in the marketplace that had potentially been previously offered to idols. And some of them had come out of those idolatrous practices and their conscience condemned them and convicted them, telling them you should not even uh, flirt with the idea that you might be eating meat that has previously been sacrificed to those idols. The interesting thing about Romans 14 and Romans or 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 8 is that Paul tells us that the weaker brother uh, is the one who has an inability to eat that meat. The person that's strong in grace understands that this meat is nothing. But interestingly enough, Paul says two things. He says, number one, if your conscience does condemn you, and every believer has to go through this process internally and search their own hearts. If your conscience condemns you, Paul said, to you it is sin. You should not head in that direction. You should abstain. But secondly, he tells those stronger brothers who had the freedom, who understood that it was just food. And of course, they weren't going to cross the line into sins of gluttony or drunkenness or anything like that. The Bible does have something to say about sin related to what we imbibe, what we take in. Uh, they weren't crossing that line, of course. But Paul said, you know, another thing that a Christian needs to consider is, if I eat this, am I stumbling a weaker brother? Now, it's important to make a distinction there. The Pharisees, in a sense, were stumbled by the way the disciples and Jesus ate and drank and lived their lives. Jesus persisted in that, though. That wasn't stumbling a weak believer. It was stumbling a legalistic non-believer. So we're not talking about, hey, don't eat or don't drink certain things just to make sure that the religious people are happy with you. We're talking about don't eat or drink in, in order to stumble a weaker brother or sister in Christ. Now, that's probably enough to say about that, except to just add the fact that any form of religion that focuses heavily on what you eat or what you drink is beginning to drift in the wrong direction. We know we're not to be drunk. We know we're not to uh, allow ourselves to be impaired by what we consume. Uh, we know that from the New Testament. That's 
you know, those are the beginning uh, sort of elements of our Christian faith. But he says here, don't let anyone judge you in issues or matters regarding food or drink. But then he adds on another little cluster when he, when he says, or uh, regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, again, these are very Jewish kinds of experiences. Old Testament festivals, the feasts that they would hold unto the Lord, the new moon celebrations monthly, and the weekly Sabbath rest. So you had uh, a, the annual celebration and the festivals, the monthly celebration in the new moons, and the weekly celebration in the Sabbath. Notice what Paul says about these elements in verse 17. He said, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And really, this gives us great insight into the way in which we read the Old Testament. The Old Testament, so many of the things that they had going on at that time, were the shadows of the things to come. And what is the thing to come? What is the substance? He says, the substance belongs to Christ. So in the Old Testament, you had shadows. And in the New Testament, you have the substance, which is uh, Christ. And so, of course, the idea here from Paul is uh, you would much rather worship, serve, cling to, honor the substance rather than the shadow. You know, if I were to walk up to you to meet you and it was outside on a sunny day and I stuck out my hand to shake your hand and you put your hand out and attempted to shake the, the hand of my shadow and began to speak to my shadow, it would be a very confusing situation for me. And, and I don't know that it would be the best uh, impression right off the bat. And so Paul is saying to these Colossians, listen, these people that are telling you about the festivals and the new moons and the Sabbaths, Understand, they're trying to draw you back to shadows when you have the substance in Christ. You have, you know, they had festivals every year. You have a reason to celebrate every day. They had a new moon every month in which they would celebrate the newness, the freshness, the grace, the mercy of God that was new to them for that next fresh month in front of them. Well, we have newness and freshness, mercies from God every single day because of the cross of Christ. And they had a Sabbath every single week. But I just always imagine what that was like. We know that the legalists made it into an unpleasant experience. But even in God's original intention for the Sabbath, what a beautiful thing. Sundown on Friday, you start to rest. You spend time with family. You cease and refrain from your work. They also had Sabbaths that were uh, every uh, seven years for the land, you would take time off. You would let the land rest and, and all of that. And uh, But I often think about what that would have been like to go through those 24-hour periods of rest. I'm sure that in one sense, in God's original intention for them, they were beautiful. But you know, there's something about the human mind and the human heart. There's worry, there's anxiety, there are cares, there are concerns and the thing about Christ is that through a relationship with him, we are able to tap into his peace that passes all understanding. We're able to take his yoke upon us 
uh, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And even if we're physically not resting, we haven't stopped from our labors within our minds. Even the Lord can bring peace and can bring rest. He is our Sabbath rest. The substance, Paul is saying, belongs to Christ. You get all of these things in a relationship with Jesus, not in this old uh, style of religiosity. Now, in verse 18, Paul goes on to list a few other elements, and these admittedly are tough to define and really uh, don't have an Old Testament backdrop uh, attached to them. He says in verse 18, let no one disqualify you. Now, that's a slightly different phrasing than the thing he said in verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you. Uh, but it has the same, I think, idea. I don't think he's trying to give us these light little variations of wording uh, so that we can come up with a different idea. It's just, hey, don't let anyone take you there. Don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone disqualify you, which actually literally means to deny you your prize. And the prize, of course, is Christ. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting Verse 18, on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous uh, mind. And so there are three things here, really, that Paul says to the Colossians that they need to watch out for. Number one, asceticism. Number two, worship of angels. And number three, going on in detail about visions. Now, again, like I said, it's difficult to know exactly what the Colossians were enduring, what they were facing, and hard for us to know a couple thousand years later exactly what these three elements looked like uh, in the Colossian church. Some, of course, believe that there's a heavy influence of Gnosticism uh, behind the book of Colossians. And, uh, but some, on the other hand, believe that Gnosticism really wasn't fully developed at the time that Paul would have written this letter and that it came uh, years later. And so maybe we have Gnosticism in its infancy, sort of influencing some of the beliefs of the Colossians. But, you know, the Gnostics would have said things like, uh, God is so holy and is so spiritual that he wants to have nothing to do and can have nothing to do with anything that is physical. So in order to interact with man, there were emanations that came from God. Uh, and those emanations were angels. And the final emanation was Jesus, who became flesh. And he's actually lower than the angels. So for these people, asceticism or denial of the flesh, some kind of strange religious practice uh, in which they would deny their flesh, would, you know, uh, God would like that. Because he would say, look at you, you're denying something physical in order to, uh, you know, climb the ladder, so to speak, and gain me as the spiritual God. And they were infatuated with their study of angels, so much so that Paul said that they were getting into the worship of angels and even going on in detail about these different uh, visions. Exactly what these things were is difficult to say. You know, asceticism on the one hand in verse 18, it might be that Paul is referring to just a blanket false humility. Unfortunately, there's a lot of 
false humility in the body of Christ, the uh, speaking with a certain tone, saying the Lord's name a lot in regular conversation, uh, you know, having a starry look in your eyes and just sounding very, very spiritual, sounding very humble. That could be what Paul is uh, referring to. Uh, or maybe there, he's referring to a false humility that uh, caused them to say, we're so low, we could never have anything to do with God. Therefore, this big religious system of asceticism and climbing up the ladder through these different angels and finally ascending uh, up to God. Now, of course, the Christian does at times practice things like fasting or generosity, giving away our money, giving away our time. These are things that are physical sacrifices that we make. The difference, however, is that we do not think that we're climbing any ladder to reach God. We believe that we've reached God, or better said, that God has reached us by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that we are standing in his presence purely because of his blood and his imputed righteousness uh, to our account. Uh, because we want to grow and be sanctified, and because we sometimes have moments where we want to uh, seek the Lord with intensity or fervor, we will fast, uh, we will give, uh, we want to trust the Lord in all areas of our lives, but we're not doing it in order to approve ourselves unto God or to climb into his spiritual realm. Now, the worship of angels in verse 18, that's a confusing one that I already explained there. It could be an over-emphasis uh, on the angelic realm or perhaps even the full-blown worship of angels. And then verse 18, going on in detail, he also says about visions. You know, it is interesting that most books these days that recount near-death experiences, the sort of I saw the light kind of book, the thing that is conspicuously absent is the judgment seat of Christ, where God is the judge, God reigns supreme. And, you know, the Bible is clear that when we die, there's uh, an account that is given. We'll stand before the creator of the universe. And so often the, you know, these uh, reports uh, do not give you the sense that there is anything to be worried about, no concern eternally. Uh, but Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14 that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. All of that said, asceticism, worship of angel, going on in detail about visions, it probably is the case that you have not been tempted in any of these areas in the last year in your life. And Perhaps I've had no one that's come and talked to you and said, hey, I want to talk to you about asceticism or the worship of angels. I want to talk to you about these different visions. Uh, you may have had that, though. And, and Paul says, look, the, these things aren't the real deal. They can't really, truly help you. He says in the midst of all this in verse 19, that they are not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Previously, he said, these things are the shadow, they're not the substance, so we want to be full with the substance. But here he says, when you hold fast to the head, there's the possibility of growth in the body that is a growth that is from God. Uh, false spirituality produces something 
but it doesn't produce a growth that comes from God. And I think Christians have to watch out for these uh, spiritual sounding shortcuts. You know, like the idea of, I just want to own a Bible. And that somehow if I owned a Bible and I, you know, set it on my nightstand or something like that, I would somehow have victory, you know, and be and have protection from the demonic realm or something like that. No, it's, it's about more than owning a Bible. It's about reading it, applying it, believing it, trusting the Lord as a result of hearing uh, his word. Uh, I think a lot of Christians use phrases like, uh, that they're looking for their soul mate and the damage that is caused in, in so many Christian relationships because they get married and they realize uh, you're not really my soul mate. You're very different from me. You're opposite uh, from me. And I've seen marriages that have dissolved because the person, even if they didn't use that kind of phraseology, in their mind, they weren't thinking that the key to success in a Christian marriage was a lifestyle practice of walking with Christ, repenting of sin, staying close to him in his word and in prayer, and continually spiritually growing and finding your fulfillment in Jesus, not in this other person. They might not say that or confess that, but a lot of times that's the idea that's embedded inside of their heart. Watch out for these things that sound spiritual at first glance, but in reality are rejected by God. Hold fast instead to the head and receive the growth that is, Paul says, from God. Growth that God generates, growth that God endorses. Jesus said in John 15 verse 5, he said to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. A continual relationship with Christ that produces in our lives. Now, verse 20, he goes on and he challenges the Colossians. He's listed, like we've read, a few different philosophies and religions that they were beginning to flirt with. Uh, judgments regarding food and drink, festivals, new moons, Sabbath, uh, worship of angels, asceticism, visions that they'd received. Paul said in verse 20, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And then he quotes some of these regulations in verse 21 when he says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And I think in a mocking way, he's quoting their teachers. And regarding those regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, Paul then says in verse 22, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. And it's obvious here that these false teachers were overly focused on the physical realm. And of course, the Colossians, they knew exactly what these teachers were referring to. Interestingly, uh, the word touch there in verse 21, when he says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, quoting their false teachers, that's a word that Paul actually used to describe a sexual relationship between a man and a woman in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 
one. And so often with people who are uh, giving in to uh, false ideologies or religions or uh, erroneous versions of spirituality, they reject anything in the physical realm. Anything physical to them is sinful. And uh, certainly Gnosticism, once it developed, had that idea and that kind of concept. But the Christian realizes that the blood of Jesus redeems. You know, the blood of Jesus redeems a sexual relationship. You know, he takes that which uh, perhaps through our own disobedience and our own rebellion, when we thought we could make the decisions on what was healthy and good and right for us sexually, the blood of Jesus then reverses that course and causes us to say that uh, my body now comes under his direction and leadership and sex can be a wonderful gift that God gives to the marriage that I'm in. Uh, but the wrong reaction, of course, would be to let that pendulum swing all the way to the other side of things and say, listen, I used to behave like a pagan sexually. And so what I need to do now is resist all forms of sex. No, there's sex inside of a covenantal, lifelong, dedicated marriage between a husband and a wife. And that is accepted, loved, and created by the God of the universe. The reality is that we are spiritual and physical people. And, you know, we enjoy food, we enjoy drink. It's important not to let some kind of legalistic religiosity creep into the physical realm around us. Paul asks them in verse 20, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? You should not go there. He says in verse 23, these, in closing, have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They look very wise at first glance, very godly. They look like they're, uh, you know, oh man, I'm really tapping into something deep here. I remember seeing a book one time about, uh, you know, the diet of Christ. And, you know, really wanting to figure out what did Jesus eat? And if we could eat like Jesus, then, uh, you know, somehow it'd be healthy for us, but also more spiritual for us or something like that. But the reality is that Jesus ate what the people in the world that he uh, incarnated to ate. And so, you know, he ate whatever's available in that culture. These are things that are not of any value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Jesus taught in Mark chapter 7 that the problem with man is not external, but internal. He said in Mark chapter 7 that what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Uh, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things, Jesus said in Mark 7, 23, uh, all these evil things come from within 
and they defile a person. Uh, really, religion, asceticism, uh, regulations like do not touch, taste, handle, they can't change the heart. We need Jesus Christ to enter into our lives, a personal relationship with him. He'll take that which is wild and uncontrollable and change and transform us slowly but surely into the image of Jesus Christ. Religion can't cut it. Spirituality can't cut it. But Jesus Christ can walk in him. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.